Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. I have... um privilege of sharing the word with you today from the book of Sec, uh, the book of Titus chapter 2 and so hopefully you have a bible to follow along we uh, pastor Chet has been in the book of Titus on Sundays and so when we spoke uh, he asked me if I could just kind of finish out the chapter and so we will finish out Titus chapter 2 today and so pray with me We can ask the Lord to help us through this study. Lord, we are so blessed, Lord. We're so blessed. We're so honored. Eres tan bueno, Señor. You're way beyond good, more than we deserve. We love you and we thank you and pray that your spirit would move in this place. If there's one person in this room that does not yet know you, Lord, we pray for them. That today would be a day that their life changes, their heart comes to know your son, Jesus, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. There's so much to be thankful for, right? Thankful for Calvary Chapel South Bay, we're thankful. Thankful for Pastor Chet, thankful for him. Thankful for our country, thankful for our country. We're thankful for familia, how many of you... Uh, thankful for your familia. Yeah. Well, most of them. <laughs> thankful for our children. The kids. Thankful for our kids. Most of them. <laughs> thankful for our friends. We have a lot of friends. We have friends. Thankful for friends. Thankful for Mexican food. <laughs> Some hot pozole, tortillas de harina, tacos de lengua. Eh, not so much. Not so much. Carnitas, that happens to be my, my favorite carnita. Okay, we're done. You can close up your Bibles. <laughs> no, but there is one thing that we should always, always be thankful for. When you think of the grace of God, you should be thankful. Some of us in this room, there's only one reason we're alive, because of the grace of God. Yeah, give him thanks for that. Some of us, some of us still have a a brain that halfway works because of the grace of God. Some of us have a marriage that is still together because of the grace of God. What is that? Uh, How how do you describe it? Well, grace has been described this way, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm. It's also also, uh, the Greek word charis means... Undeserved, merciful kindness from God. 
It also means undeserved favor from God. It also means undeserved acceptance from God, grace. But let me even go a little uh, one step further in in this explanation. Now, I know that you don't speed on the freeways. I, I know you don't. But you have a crazy friend that lives in Riverside that just always speeds. And so Pancho's on the freeway, and he's speeding. He's speeding way too fast, and the policeman pulls him over. And you know what the policeman does? He gives him a what? No, no warning. Uh-uh. Not the Pancho I know. Mm-mm. He gives him a ticket. You know what that's called? Justice. He got what he deserved. He deserved a ticket. And he got justice. But there's another word. It's the word mercy. Policeman comes up to Pancho's car. And he said, listen, you were going 122 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour speed zone. And I should give you a ticket, but I'm not going to. Now, now help me. I'm going to give you a... You know what that is? That's mercy. He didn't get what he deserved. He was just given a warning. Grace. You know what grace is? The policeman is there at Pancho's car, and he looks inside, and he sees the gas gauge in Pancho's car, and he says, man, you're almost running out of gas. Here, let me give you $20 so that you can put gas in your car. You know what that is? That's... That's a made-up story. That's what that is. That's a made-up story. But that ain't going to happen. Let me tell you now, that ain't going to happen. But that's a picture of grace. You get something that you don't deserve. You got what you deserved, justice. You didn't get what you deserved, mercy. You ended up getting something that you didn't even deserve. That's the grace of God. So I want you to go with me to Titus chapter 2, verse 11, just four verses, five verses. We'll read through them and then come back and make some commentary on these verses. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, and it offers salvation to, notice, all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Hmm. The grace of God. If you like to write things down, I I, I wrote this down uh, from verses 11 and 12. God's grace offers salvation and also teaches us how to live. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared. Yeah. It's, it's Jesus. You see, in John chapter 1, verse 17, uh, the apostle John says, The law of God came through Moses, but the grace, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So Jesus came and offered salvation to all by his Spirit. And it's to all people. See, it's the will of God that all should come to repentance. It's the will of God. If you happen to have drifted in here today, somebody invited you, you're with a friend, they've been 
inviting you forever. They bribed you with, I'll take you to lunch afterwards, and so you show up. Or maybe you just walked in on yourself. It's the will of God that you come to a personal relationship with Jesus today. I'm not talking about joining a church or becoming religious or you have to change from one religion to another. I'm not talking about any of that. But that you would come to know the person of Jesus Christ that died on the cross and on the third day was resurrected. To offer you eternal life today. That, that's what Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 tells us. There, Peter says this, God is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness. Listen, listen to this. But he's patient with you. He's patient with you because he doesn't want anybody to perish. But he wants all people to come to a saving knowledge. All people. Even that one person that you work with, Even that one person you live with, even that one person that lives next door to you, that just is driving you crazy and you just think, I don't even know if God wants this person. (laughs) I mean, you just like had it with the, it's the will of God that that person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As we look at, at the book of Titus, the book of Titus was written by a man named Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. So in your mind, if you don't know any better, you'd think like, man, he must have been some righteous, holy individual his whole life because he was chosen by God to write the Bible, half of the New Testament. Well, not so much. In the gospel or in the book of Acts in chapter 8, the Bible talks about this man, Saul of Tarsus, that, that's who Paul was before he came to know Jesus. You see, he had a reputation. Saul had a, a life B.C., before Christ. He wasn't always a Christian. No, no, in Acts chapter 8, we're told that, that, that this Saul of Tarsus that became Paul, he, he used to persecute the church to try to destroy it. He was a high official in the Jewish Supreme Court of the land. He was high up there, power, authority. In Acts chapter 22, we're told that this Saul of Tarsus pursued and persecuted the church to the point of death. He sought to kill the Christians. In chapter 22, in verse 19, it says that he persecuted the church and he beat them they were part of the way christians in galatians chapter 1 in verse 13 it says that he said the apostle paul writing about himself you know how i persecuted the church with great intensity and i sought to destroy it he was a man filled with this anger he's a jewish individual that was being told and hearing about this jesus and And there was something that rose up against him that he was against it. And so he sought to do what he could could to destroy, beat them, persecuted them to death. And in the book of Acts in chapter 9, in the first few verses, it tells us that he was on his way to Damascus, Syria. Because he had received letters 
from the authorities, giving him the authority to go and to persecute, jail the Christians. His mission in life was to snuff out the believers. And it says there that he was breathing out murderous threats. Chip on his shoulder, major, major chip. Bitter, angry. Are you angry at God? Are you that one person that says, I'm so angry at God that I cannot imagine that I would ever be welcomed by God. I'm so, I've done so many things in my life that are so wicked, so evil, so wrong in a godly sense that there's, there's no way, there's no way that I could ever be accepted. In the book of Acts, in chapter 9, he's on his way to, uh, to Damascus to persecute the Christians, and something happens to him, something that he didn't expect. He didn't see it coming. He's riding whatever mule or horse, whatever he's riding on his way, and all of a sudden, bam, from heaven, he has an encounter with Jesus. Oh, not, not in a literal, physical sense, but he hears a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul. And I've always said, man, if the Lord calls your name two times, you need to, you need to pay attention. Saul, Saul. He falls to the ground. He's knocked to the ground. He's humbled. He's brought low. Why are you persecuting me, says the Lord to Saul. And for the first time in Saul's life, he has an encounter with the living Jesus. Again, not physical, not visible to the eye. But there's a connection that's being made here to where Saul is understanding a little bit about Jesus from a, in a personal way, not just, well, somebody told me one time that Christians do this, and, and I read on social media that Christians are this, and uh, they just want your money. And, and No, no, this is a time... When Saul, this persecutor, meets up, encounters with Jesus. And the only thing that Saul can say from his knees is, Lord, what do you want me to do? There's a brokenness. The pride has been broken. The rebelliousness, the stubbornness, the stiff neck, the arrogance in his life has been chipped away by just having an encounter with Jesus. And, and it says in, the, in, in that same chapter, in chapter 9, in the next few verses, that immediately this, this Saul, he's still called Saul, he's going into the synagogues and he's preaching now about Jesus. He's a brand new believer and the first thing he wants to do is, I got to tell somebody. I'm going to the synagogues and I'm going to preach. And he's there preaching and, and the other people that are there, some of the other perhaps Christians that were there, they're looking on at this man, Saul, and they go, wait, hold on. Isn't this the one that tried to put to death the Christian? Isn't he the one that persecuted the Christians? And it says they marveled at Saul. That's what happens when Jesus comes into your life. When Jesus comes into your life, other people look at you and go, what's, what's different about you? You're different. You're amazed. I'm amazed at the changes that, that I see in your life. You see, you're, the, you're, 
your, your salvation should lead to transformation so that other people look on and go, tell me, tell me, que pasó? Tell me what happened. How, how did this change happen in your life? And so this man saw. Is now become, is now, has now become that individual that has changed. And later, later in years, as he's been walking with the Lord, as he has been doing missionary trips, and he has been ministering and mentoring to other young men, there must have been a moment when he sat and just reflected, thinking about the way life used to be without Jesus. And he writes this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who has given me strength. And he's found me faithful and he's appointed me to service. Even though, he says, even though I was once a blasphemer, I was a persecutor. I was a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And then the grace, this undeserved favor, this undeserved acceptance, this undeserved kindness was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Jesus. So never forget the grace of God. Should never forget that He accepted us. He invited us to come to Him into a personal relationship just as we were. Many of us put up fights. We fought against it. And we'd get angry because people just leave me alone, would you? Go to pull up to a gas station to put gas, and somebody says to you, Hey, uh, what a beautiful day. God, God is so good. Stop talking to me about God. And you can't seem to run away. From, oh, I know that. I know that feeling. My brother Jesse, bless his heart, five years older than I am. Typical, classic Mexican gang member back in the day. And him and his wife got saved. They came to know the Lord. And he had no idea, no clue. What does that mean? He came to work one day. We worked, worked together, setting forms for a concrete company. And he comes to work one day, and he's smiling. He's happy. <laughs> Guess what, he says to me. What? I got saved. Yeah. My question was, from What? I mean, the life, kind of life that him and I lived and the stupid things that we were doing, even as married men. Uh, what happened? Somebody was chasing you out to kill you and, and you got saved? Is that what happened? No, no, no. I went, I went to this church, man, and, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I said to him, what does that mean? And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that something happened. Something happened in here. I'm, I feel different. I don't want to hear it. I, me, me, I'm not talking about anybody else but me. I, I said, I was born Catholic, I want to die Catholic. 
And people would say to me, well, you're Catholic? Yeah, what do you believe? I don't know. Why do you stand up and sit down and kneel? I don't know. Hey, that little bowl of water that you like, what is that for? I don't know. But I'm going to fight it. I'm going to defend it. I don't know what it is. And I don't know what it's for. I'm talk- Again, I'm talking about me. But I'm going to defend it. My parents did it. My abuelos did it. And everybody before them did it. So it's what I'm going to do. But I watched him. I, I watched him. You see, we worked. I knew what he'd like to do. I knew where, I knew where he'd like to go. We used to go to these places together. didn't matter that we were married. Hey, Jess, come on. Come with me. Nah, I'm going to go home. You're going to go home? And do what? <laughs> I'm going to be with my wife and kids. Why? <laughs> I mean, that's the, the life that we lived. That was the, the life we lived. And one day, I went over his house. I went over his house. I was half drunk. I'm sitting at his kitchen table. My family calls me Fide, not Fidel, but Fide. Fide, you don't, you don't have to live this way, man. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And I, and I remember I started laugh, I started laughing at him. And he started crying. And I'm laughing at him. And when I left, I went out and I had an old 50 GMC pickup truck. And I get in my truck and I'm drunk and I'm sitting there in my pickup truck just cry, crying because I want what he has. But I'm so prideful, I can't tell him that. I can't say, you're right, I'm wrong. Give me what you got. Oh, I swallowed it. I know the fight. But thank the Lord that my brother never gave up on me. Thank the Lord that my brother continued to love me. And a few months ago, I spoke at a men's conference at his church in Las Vegas, and he just told me how proud he was of me. It's a work that only Jesus can do. I know, I know how my brother has been transformed, and I know the fight of resisting out of fear, out of lack of knowledge out of history and tradition and rituals, and you, you stiff-arm the possibility that maybe Jesus wants to have a relationship with you because you don't understand it. He just loves you. He died on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. He was put a sword to, through his side. He was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again to be able to say, I, I offer you salvation free as a gift. But because we don't understand it, we fight it. And you, you, you're, you're, the, you're the light of the world. You see, there, there's still a lot of Saul's out in the community. Los Angeles County, Gardena, Hawthorne, all these other places around here, there's still Saul's of Tarsus that are out there. And you and I, we have this hope. We have this word, we have this knowledge, we have the scriptures that can open up our lives and to share with somebody, God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. He loves you. 
He has a plan for your life. You don't have to change anything. You come to him just as you are. And by his spirit, he'll begin to do the cleaning in your life. Do you understand? You, 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 hold, you hold that message. You're an ambassador for Christ. And he's given to you the message of reconciliation. But we, sometimes we just kind of keep it to ourselves. So he says, the grace of God that has brought salvation has offered salvation to all people. But then he says, but he also, this grace of God teaches us. You see, now, let, let's say now, we, uh, for 11, verses uh, 11 and 12, uh, which I said, God's grace offers salvation and teaches us how we should live. Okay, so now let's say we've come to know the Lord, okay? So now he says, now the, this grace that brought you to salvation is now the grace that wants to teach you, and he says, to say no to ungodliness. To say no to wickedness. And to live self-controlled lives, upright lives, godly lives in this present age. But the, the grace of God teaches you, yeah, through his Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God in John chapter 14, verse 26, that Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit that the Father will send to you in my name will teach you all things and remind you of the things that I've said. In the Gospel of John chapter 16 and verse 12, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You know how that is. You know how this godly conviction happens. The first time, I remember the first time I ever felt conviction as a newer believer. I never had a conviction. I mean, I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong, but I did the wrong anyway. But a conviction is a Friday night. Got done pouring 300 yards of concrete. Hey, let's head over to the elbow room. I always went to the elbow room on Boulder Highway. And there we are sitting at the bar. And I'm sitting there and I'm drinking and, and I've already, we've already started going to Calvary Chapel. I'm a newer believer. I'm starting to really kind of get into gear as far as my relationship with the Lord. And I'm sitting there at the bar drinking. And all of a sudden, this thought hit me. I look down the bar like this, and a bunch of drunks lying to each other. And I look down this way over here, a bunch of drunks fighting with one another. And I'm sitting there at the bar going, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing here? I should be home with my wife and kids. I never felt that. That thought, that thought had never <laughs> entered my mind. The only thought I had was, hey, otra cerveza. Give me another beer. It's the only thought that entered my mind. And so I look at my buddy, hey, I'm going to go. You're going to go? Where are you going? I'm going home. Ah, your old lady. I'm going to go home. You know that feeling. You're sitting there on your, your couch at home, and you're all kind of slouched in, and you're watching a movie, and all of a sudden all the, the curse words are coming up, and they're throwing out the name of Jesus in a, in a cursing kind of a way, and uh, they're using the word damn after the name of God, and, and you're starting to feel that, 
that, that conviction in your spirit to go, this ain't no good. I shouldn't be here. And what do you do with that? You, the temptation to say, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's only a couple of curse words. What do you do with that? The temptation to stay or, or the conviction to go. What, here's what the Bible tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There is uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to every man. But listen now, listen. But God is faithful to never let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear without providing a means of escape so that you can bear up under it. Right then and there, that conviction, God is saying, oye, oye, hey, 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 vamos. The conviction is there. What do you do with it? He's providing you a, a way out. Maybe your cell phone in the kitchen rings all of a sudden. Maybe that's the way out. You sitting in front of the computer looking at sites that you shouldn't be looking at, biblically speaking. And all of a sudden, somebody calls you or whatever, and there, there's your way out. What do you do with it? Because the Holy Spirit teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly lusts. See, there's, there's this growth. There's this opportunity to trust in the Lord. that You, you, can't, you can't find yourself putting yourself in places where you're going to be tempted. His brother is, um, because of health reasons, because of health reasons, the doctor tells him he needs to lose weight because of health. And he's doing good. He's doing good. Three months, six months, man, he's doing really well, cutting back sugar, feeling better. And then one day on the way to work, he looks that way, Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Equally. And the light is on. <laughs> hmm. It's been a while. It's been a while. Lord, Lord, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> I'll make you a deal. When I drive up there, if there's a parking spot right at the front door, if there's a parking spot right at the front door, I'm going to take that as a sign from you that it's Okay. So after I went around the block four times, <laughs> there, there was the parking spot. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then after you've eaten the dozen donuts, you go, I don't, I don't know what happened. You don't know what, you don't know what happened? Como? You ate a dozen donuts. That's what happened. Now you're sugar. Now you got to watch out for that. The Holy Spirit will teach you. The Holy Spirit will warn you. The Holy Spirit will send conviction. But you have to see. You have to be open. You have to be aware of that. Now, why, why should we? Why should we find ourselves living in such a way where it's a self-controlled life? It's an upright life. It's a godly life. Hmm. Look at verse 14. Verse 13, I'm sorry. 
He says in verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope. Oh, I love that. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. While we wait for the blessed hope. Hmm. I wrote this down. I wrote this down. The watchful Christian is a hopeful Christian. Be watching in the King James, it says, looking, looking for the coming of the blessed hope. Who's the blessed hope, folks? It's Jesus. He says, we're, 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 the Holy Spirit is leading us to live a life that is right before him. Why? Because we're waiting for the blessed hope. We're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, who gave himself, the rest of the verse, who gave himself up for us. To redeem us from a life of wickedness and to purify for himself a people that he call his own, eager to do good. Waiting for the Messiah to come. Waiting for Jesus to come. You ever think about that? You ever think about the fact that this is not it for us? This is not the end of life for us? That there's coming a time when a trumpet is going to blow and we're going to be taken up into the heavens? Do you ever think about those kind of things? Do you ever find yourself stuck in a, a traffic jam somewhere and just like, Next time, just look up in heaven and go, Lord, I'm going to blow this joint one day. I'm out of here. One day, I'm going to get out of here. You're at a job where you just can't stand the job. You hate the job. You hate the people. You hate the pay. You hate the benefits. You hate the traffic. Get in there. You hate everything. You just hate the place. So every now and then, you need to wake up and look in the mirror and go, Lord, I'm going to heaven one day. I can make it. I can make it through this when I think about that. But the, the older that I've gotten and the more that I'm attentive and aware as to what's happening globally, can I say to you, I am convinced. Now, we've been hearing this about the second coming of Jesus Christ forever. And people, the second Peter says, people have been scoffing at it. Oh, come on. We've been hearing that. But I believe that it's that close. I believe that it could happen at any time. However, many of us, many of us are not aware. We're not attentive to what's happening. We're so uh, focused in on our life and what's happening in our that we don't uh, kind of back up and see what's happening globally. Just for as an example, what's happening in Yemen with the Houthis and, and the bombs that they're, send, they're uh, uh, sending bombs to bomb commercial Ships that are bringing commerce. And in response to that, the United States with the Tomahawk missiles and the United Kingdom is joining in and attacking sites in Yemen. And so now that's another global incident that we've got to be aware about. And, of course, you have the Hezbollah group up in the northern, and I've had the privilege of being up there, in the Lebanon border, the north border of Israel, and the southern border of Lebanon, where there's missiles being sent back and forth, that that could explode at any time. And the same group, Hezbollah on the West Bank, where they're supporting what's happening in Hamas, and they're proxies for Iran that's feeding them weapons. Folks, it's... it's the, 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 the things that are falling into place that are predicted in the scriptures, Russia, Iran, Turkey, uh, that is known as Beth Togarma in the Old Testament, Turkey, they're, 
beginning, well, Iran and, and Russia, they've created this, this uh, coalition where uh, Iran spent billions and billions of dollars buying from Russia tanks and uh, missiles and military equipment to arm them for years to come. And Iran selling drones to Russia for the war in Ukraine. They've, cre- they've created this coalition that has never been seen before. It's just in the last few years that they've joined forces together. And now Turkey, President Erdogan, that at one time was an ally with Israel, at one time an ally with the United States. In the late 1990s and the year 2000, they started shifting, they started turning, became more radicalized. And now the president of Turkey has been quoted as saying, Israel will be wiped out. And so when you look at uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, 38, and 39, and you see the countries that the Lord says he's going to bring down from the north to attack Israel, and that's going to be the beginning of the end. You see uh, Gog, Magog, Russia. You see Persia, which is modern-day Iran, joining together with the two allies coming down and attacking Israel. And you see Egypt, and you see Libya. You see all these countries that are joining together, and you go, Lord, it, it's happening. It's going to happen. It's gonna, the, there, there's going to be something that is going to change. Uh, it can't keep going on this way. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, when you be, see these things begin to happen, he said, look up, because your redemption draws near. Look up. Look up. Remember what, what he said here in verse 13? Looking ahead, looking ahead for our blessed hope. In Matthew chapter 24, it's Jesus and talking about these end times before he returns. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. How was it in the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, extreme violence. In the days of Noah, sexual perversion. Are we seeing that today? More and more, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage till Noah went into the ark. They had no idea what was going to happen to them until the flood came and took them all away. He said, there will be two men out in the field working. One will be taken and one will be left. There will be two women grinding at the wheel One will be taken and one will be left. Such it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, Jesus said, listen, listen. Therefore, Jesus said, keep watch. Because you don't know the day or the hour that your Lord will come. It could happen today. There could be a time when the trumpet blows and we're taken today. The question is, does that bring joy to you or are you scared to death? Is there something in your life? As a Christian, you've drifted, gotten distracted. Man, you had such a, such a love for the Lord. You had such passion for the Lord. You couldn't, you couldn't talk to people very long before you started sharing the gospel with people. You were memorizing verses. And then, and then, you name it. Something happened. And now the fire has gone down to just 
It'll trickle. Or, or you as a person that is yet to come to know the Lord, you've been delaying it, postponing it, saying, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I really agree. I, I, I need to really get serious about this thing of giving my life to Jesus. But um, one day, one day. No, see, you don't understand. Let me repeat it. Jesus said, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. It could be today with everything that's happening globally, which with, even in our own country, what's happening in our nation, the tension. It could happen today. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18, for the Lord himself will come down with the voice of the archangel. And the trumpet call of God will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us that are alive and left will then rise up together. Listen, listen. Rise up together with them. With those that have died in Christ. We will rise up together with them and meet them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the clouds. And so we shall be with the Lord forever, folks. Forever. The, the challenge, listen, the challenge is that on the prophetic calendar, there's nothing else that needs to be fulfilled before this prophecy takes place. That's why I'm telling you, this trumpet call of God that calls us up into the heavens could happen today. Imagine, if it happened today, no work tomorrow. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. Mm. If we heard the trumpet call of God today, no more cancer. No more divorce. No more abuse. No more abandonment. But we'll be in the presence of the Lord. And we will be there together because the dead in Christ, and then we will join them together in the clouds and, and meet the Lord. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us that there will be a, the marriage feast of the Lamb. There will be a celebration. I'll, 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 see my, I'll see my mom and dad again. I'll see my in-laws again. I'll see my brothers again. I'll see my sister again. And listen, this celebration, because we're Mexican, there's going to be piñatas at the celebration. Give me a piñata. We're in heaven. I've, I've said this for as long as I can remember. Heaven should not just be a destination. It should be an inspiration. When you think about what we have here and what is expected, what is waiting for us in heaven, when you wake up in the morning, if you're having a hard time, it should inspire you. It says, Lord, I can make it through this day because I know this isn't the end for me. Cheer up, folks. Cheer up, Christian. Go to work tomorrow with a smile on your face. Go to work tomorrow with a smile on your face, not because everything is good, but because the Lord changes your perspective about your difficult situation and reminds you, child of mine, this ain't the end. You're coming home one day. You're going to be with me one day. 
It goes on to tell us here that he redeemed us. He redeemed us. He purchased us. He purchased us. You and I, we were on the slave auction block. He paid for you. Paid for me. And what was the price? His blood. He shed his blood. To purchase you. He knew you. And it didn't matter. He wanted you. You mean God saw? You mean the Lord saw? What I, he saw everything. He saw when you smoked that. He saw you when you snorted that. He saw you when you, he saw you, when you went from relationship to relationship. He saw all that. And he loves you unconditionally. And he invites you to have a relationship with him. And so I'm going to, in just a moment, we're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to make a decision. You as a Christian, the one that has drifted, the one that finds himself, herself, a bit distant in their relationship with the Lord, to make a decision to come back to him. And I'm going to invite you, the person that happens to be here today, and we've been praying for you, man. My wife and I, even when we were back home in Fort Lauderdale, praying for you, that God would touch a heart, just one heart, that one person today would realize the love that is beyond understanding that God has for them and that they would make a decision to give their life to Jesus. So let's bow our heads and let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you. And as a family, we pray for that one person that needs to make a U-turn and come back. And we pray for that one that is yet to give their life to you. They're, They're fighting. They're scared. They're scared to break the tradition of the past, the rituals. Lord, would you touch those hearts? Only you can soften a hard heart, Lord. Only you can do that. And so I pray, Lord, that as your word has gone out, that you would do a work in that heart. Listen, as your heads are bowed, your heads are bowed and you're praying. I want to ask you, are you that, that Christian that has drifted? Are you that Christian that has found yourself as a prodigal needing to come back? Or are you that one person that is needing to give your life to Jesus today? I'm going to pray for you, that person that needs to be converted and give your life to Christ. And if you want to have your sins forgiven, you'll repeat this prayer. Father, I've sinned. Nobody's looking around, just you and the Lord. God, I've sinned. But today I repent. I give my life to you, Lord. I want to leave the past behind. Help me with this pain. Help me to forget the past. Forgive me for all of the sins I've committed. I invite you into my heart that I might be saved. I want to come back to you, Lord. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
Fill my heart with joy. As your heads are bowed, is there one person in this room today without looking around, nobody's looking, is there one person that prayed that prayer to invite Jesus into their life or to just come back to him? Would you do me a favor? Just raise your hand right where you sit. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you over there. God bless you here in the middle. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. I want to pray for you. God bless you guys over here on this side. God bless you guys. Lord, we pray for those that have raised their hand. We pray that you would baptize them with the power of your spirit, that they would be able to walk with you, to be more than conquerors. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.